This is Pastor Aaron at Oasis Baptist Church, and thank you for checking us out online. I pray that this message is an encouragement to you. Amen. You may be seated again. Thank you for being here. Uh, Lord willing, John will be back leading music next week. As I kind of said in the prayer earlier, he called or texted early this morning and said that he was not feeling well, so I uh, pray for he and Fauna. But uh, we're going to continue in Nehemiah chapter 7, where we'll be this morning, building beyond ourselves. It's in Ephesians chapter 6, in verse number 13 and 14. It says this, Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, it goes forward, it says, Stand therefore. Last week we looked in Nehemiah chapter 6, and in Nehemiah chapter 6 you come towards the, the end of that passage in verse 15. It says, So the wall was finished in the twenty and fifth day of the month of Elul in fifty and two days. And we kind of joked last week and, uh, that they lived happily ever after. At this point in this passage of Scripture and in this uh, where we are, Nehemiah obviously didn't just stop. Nehemiah didn't go back to being the cupbearer, which is where he was prior to. He didn't stop doing what he did and say, finally, I've kinda, I, I can wash my hands of this. I did what I came to do. No, but if you recall, I've said this over and over and over again, is that Nehemiah, his burden was not for a wall, but his burden was for a people. And so as we uh, keep those things in the, the forefront of our mind, and as we keep those things uh, in front of us, as we live every single day, as we walk, as we talk, as we do what we do, God burdens our hearts not for stuff so much as for people. Nehemiah was burdened for people. We've been here at this property for just over two years and uh, some of you were, were here in those early, early days when we would uh, walk through this door, the door over here, and the door over here was not here at this time. And we would come in this back door, there was a drop ceiling, the walls were not there, the middle partition wall wasn't there, and we walk in, and there was a lot of work to be done. How many of you remember sweating in this building? There was no lights, we would leave the door open. There wasn't no front door where we had lights at the front where we could see. We would do our best to, to, to work and we did what we could. And we, we tore down the ceilings and we tore down the walls that were here. And we did all of those things. And, and I praise God for the work that was done. And I praise God for the finances that were raised to finish out this building. But I'll never forget, not long, I guess it was you know maybe a year, a little over a year and a half, a year and a year and a half or whatever it was, where we finally had all the financial pieces together where we put down the carpet and we finalized the floor in the hallway. That was a great moment. Then since then, we've added the pieces around the top and some of those things. We've added some of the different paint and some of the different things that we've added to and there's still more that we can do and that we desire to do. But as we were financially able, we did some of those things. And, and once we got to that point, here's what we did not do. We did not close the door at the front and say, awesome, we've arrived. We did what we were supposed to do and we built out a building. God, thank you for providing this. That's not what we did. 
Because God didn't burden our hearts to put a building in place. God burdened our hearts to reach a people for the cause of Christ and to strengthen families and to do all of these different things. The same thing for Nehemiah. Nehemiah wasn't there just to build a wall. The building of the wall was a portion of what God had called him to do so that they could do what? Protect and bring the people back to Jerusalem where they would be protected, where they would learn, where they would grow, where they could raise their family in a safe environment. As we go to this passage of Scripture in chapter number 7, we see a transition from what we had at the beginning all the way through those first six chapters was really a building of a wall. There was a progress of of getting to a place where we were going to build the wall. At this point, the wall is now up, and now it's time, I kind of titled the sermon, The Real Work Begins. 52 days it took them to put the wall from ruins up. Now the work begins. Now we have to deal with people. Now we have to do what we're really called to do, and that is to work through and and get to the people and to to begin to do those things. As we look at chapter 6 of of Ephesians, I started with that passage of Scripture. I, I thought of this as I was kind of going through there. Nehemiah had done a lot of different things, but it says in that passage of Scripture, if you're familiar with there, it speaks of the, the armor of God, and it talks about the, the shoes shod with the, the preparation of the peace of the gospel, and, and it talks about a breastplate of righteousness and the helmet of salvation. It talks about all of those different things, and then it says, now having the whole armor of God, it says to stand. And once you've stood and you've withstood the evil day, what does it say again? Now stand firm again and again and again, because it doesn't just stop. It doesn't just stop. There's always a continual thing. And it's the same thing with the building project or whatever it would be. Nehemiah built a wall, but that wasn't just the end. They had to continue to press on. We finished out a church building and we don't just stop there. We have to continue to press on. And it says uh, another passage that's very similar to that. John, 2 John chapter or verse number 8, it says, Look to yourselves that we lose not those things which we have wrought, but that we receive a full reward. It says a lot of the same things there is what it said with, within Ephesians chapter 6. Hey, we've got to this point. We have the tools. We have all this stuff. Now we have to continue to press on. Here in John, 2 John chapter, or verse number 8, sorry, it says that we would not lose the things that we have worked so hard for, but that we would receive a full reward. Man, Nehemiah... We talked last week in verse or chapter 6 that, that Nehemiah was over here. If you recall, I kind of used, uh, I don't know what I was doing, but I was, I was speaking. This guy over here is sawing away and he's hammering away on this gate. And this guy over here is kind of putting all the finishing touches on the wall. And Nehemiah is standing behind him and he's going from place to place and he's encouraging them and he's leading them and he's guiding them. All the while he's getting receiving these letters. And what were the letters saying? Hey, why don't you come over here? Because we got something for you over here. And if Nehemiah would have left to come over here, he never would have received a full reward. Do you know anybody in your life that left a situation and never received the full reward that they worked so hard for? I do. I know a lot of fathers who have messed up and have never been able to be a part of their children's lives because of decisions that they've made. I know a lot of parents and mothers and fathers who have made decisions i know a lot of pastors who have chosen to do the wrong thing and never got to see a full reward of what they had worked so hard to do because they had chosen 
to do something else. This passage here, look to yourselves that we lose not those things that we have wrought for. We can't stop the work that's doing. We've got to continue to work that we would receive that full reward. And as we look at this passage in Nehemiah chapter 7, really the transition of this, uh, one of the transitions in this book to go from building and building and building and protecting and building to now, why do we do all that? Was for the people. For the people. Now we've got to continue to press on. Now all that we have done could stop and we would never see the full reward. Think of some of the reward that, that Nehemiah has. Who was born and walked and talked inside of those walls? Jesus Christ, right? He was born in Bethlehem, and where did most of his ministry take place? Right inside of Jerusalem. He would teach. He would walk. He, would, he, healed the, the, uh, he brought to life the dead. He healed the sick. He, he made the, the, the lame to walk. He, he made the, those that could not see. He gave them sight. He, he saw people that were, were once walking in a wicked manner. And he, he reached down and he saved their soul. And, and we see all of these things took place right inside of those walls. Because Nehemiah was faithful. There's so many different things. The reward that Nehemiah may have, that that full reward, and you and I have that same opportunity. And today as we look at this, as we look at what we're looking at in chapter number 7 of Nehemiah, we must continue to press on that we would receive that reward, that you and I would be a part of it. The work that God set Nehemiah to do wasn't the wall, but the protection of and love of the people. And that work had just begun. And so if you would join me in chapter number 7, I am not going to read all of chapter number 7. Some of you have already looked up and you're like, thank you, Jesus. So we're not reading all of chapter number 7, but we're going to dive into chapter number 7 from verse number 1 all the way through verse number 73 over the next however many minutes that it takes us to get there. So if you would... Why don't we pray and we'll dive into the points this morning. Father, we thank you for the day that you've given to us. And Lord, uh, what an incredible, incredible book that this has been. Lord, the story of Nehemiah, the, the life, the leadership, the things, all that he has put together and that you allowed him to be a part of. Lord, I just, I can't help but think of a man who wasn't necessarily, he wasn't a bad guy, but he definitely wasn't worthy to do what he's done. And Lord, there's nobody in this room that is worthy to do what you've called them to do. But Lord, it's trusting, it's putting our faith in you, it's walking day by day with you, it's having that relationship. And Lord, as we do so, the things that we are able to see building beyond ourselves, things that are so much greater than we could ever think or imagine that you place right before us as we are faithfully seeking after you. Lord, this morning, help us to grow in you that we would do just that. In Jesus' name. Amen. The real work begins through godly leadership. If we were to go in this passage of Scripture, starting in verse number 1, it says, Now it came to pass when the wall was built, and I had set up the doors, and the porters, and the singers, and the Levites were appointed, that I gave my brother Hanani and Hananiah, the ruler of the palace, charge over Jerusalem, for he was a faithful man and feared God above many. And I said unto them, Let not the gates of Jerusalem be open until the sun be hot, 
And while they stand by, let them shut the doors and bar them and appoint watches of the inhabitants of Jerusalem, every one in his watch and every one to be over against his house. And it says in verse four, and we'll look at this a little bit later. Now the city was large and great, but the people were few therein and the houses were not builded. We look at this and that first thought this morning is that the real work begins through godly leadership. Right away, Nehemiah finishes the wall, the walls are built, everything is put up, the gates are there, and he says in verse 1 that he's putting people in place, the porters, the singers, and the Levites. In verse 2, he places godly leadership over those, Hanani, his brother, and Hananiah, the ruler of the palace. But why? Why? Why did he choose those two? It says in that passage that they were godly men and that they feared God. And as we look at this and we look at Hanani, who had already proven himself to be faithful, if we were to go back to the beginning of Nehemiah, who was the one that would go back and forth and share with Nehemiah what was taking place in Jerusalem? It was Hanani. It was his brother who would come back and he would say, hey, Nehemiah, this is what's going on. And then he would go back and however often that he would do that. But we know in, in the beginning of this book that it was that story. It was Nehemiah or Hanani coming to him and saying, Nehemiah, The walls are broken down. The gates are burnt and all of these things are taking place that Nehemiah fell to his face. He was burdened. He was hurt. And he began to weep and mourn for several days and months as we know. Hanani had proven himself to be faithful. And because he had proven himself to be faithful, Nehemiah appointed him I guess he would as a a civil leader, if you will, in the, the city of Jerusalem. Because he was faithful, he was trustworthy. Hananiah, we really don't know much about him, but we know what it says in this passage of Scripture in verse number 2. He was a faithful man, and he feared God above many. He was a faithful man, and he feared God. We know that anywhere that we go, leadership is of great importance. But even more so than leadership, these were godly leaders that were put in place here in Jerusalem. There's a lot of great leaders. I would say that Hitler is probably one of the greatest leaders to ever walk the face of the earth. He was not godly. He was not good. But anybody that can control an entire nation of people to kill And to do what he had charged them to do and to do what he did had some form of leadership ability. And so we look at this, there was godly leadership, but how does God choose leaders? How does God place a man before a a group of people? Why would it be Nehemiah? Why would it be Hanani? Why would it be Hananiah? We, We know in 1 Samuel 16 and verse 7, But the Lord said unto Samuel, Look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. What does it say? For the Lord seeth, not as man seeth. For man looketh on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. Acts chapter 6, we see another situation in the New Testament where the disciples were teaching and they're preaching and they're doing their thing. And and all of a sudden they get to a place and they're like, listen, we have to continue to pray and we have to continue to seek seek God's word and continue to grow in God's word. But we have all of this other stuff that needs to be done and we must put people in charge of those. And in Acts chapter 6, it says what? That they would be 
honest men. That they would be men that are full of the Holy Spirit, and they would be men that would be full of wisdom. In 1 Timothy, it's another passage of Scripture that speaks of leadership and the qualifications of leadership, looking at pastors and, and deacons and leaders in the church, and it says that they would be blameless and vigilant and sober, hospitable. It would be, they would not be greedy. They would be patient. They would, they would rule their house well. They would not be prideful or just some of what is mentioned in 1 Timothy. Leadership is important. And Nehemiah placed godly leaders over Jerusalem to lead and to guide and to direct them as they continue to press on. Warren Wearsby said this, Every Christian ministry is one short generation away from destruction and God's people must be on guard. Stop and think about that. Every Christian ministry, or you could put it every Christian family or home, is one generation away from destruction. I don't know how much you know of, of church history or, or any of those things. Maybe within our own country, there's, there's places that we would call them the Ivy League schools, right? Harvard and Yale and all of these elite schools. Most of them started as what? A place for men and women to grow and learn the God's Word so they could go back and teach. Is Harvard a place where you'd want to send your kid to learn about God's Word? Not at all. Not at all. That's the farthest. They're, almost, they're as far left now as you can be. What does it say? That statement, one generation away. It doesn't take much. For us to one day be teaching the Word of God, the next day to be not at all speaking in the truths of God's Word. We have to continue to press on, and that's, that speaks of, of godly leadership. Nehemiah put godly men in leadership. He had the right assistants to work alongside of him in, in Hanani and Hananiah. Not only them, but what does it say? It said that he put porters, or those were gatekeepers in place, for the wall is only as good as those who protect its entrance, right? You could have the biggest wall that you want, but as long as there's an entrance and you have the wrong people at the entrance, it doesn't do you any good. As I was reading, as I was studying, one of the, one of the comments or one of the quotes made was that the Great Wall of China was penetrated four times. Each time that it was penetrated, you know how it was penetrated? Somebody bribed the person at the gate. They may have accepted money. They may have accepted a way out of the gates. We don't know. I'm sure if you studied the history, but either way, the gates are only as good as the one that protects it. And, and Nehemiah had placed men in charge of the gates, and it says that he, he had placed men and he appointed them as, as guards and as watches who would patrol the city. Maybe we would call them police today, but that they were mainly people who they had an invested interest. So if this was my section and this is where I lived and this is the wall that was around me, Nehemiah had placed those men to be the guards over that area. Why? I have a vested interest. My family is there. This is my home. This is where I am staying. I want to be protected. How many of you in your home, if you see somebody walking around your neighborhood that you don't know and that looks really shady, you just drive by and you don't care? Uh-uh. When I'm driving out of my house and out of my neighborhood, if I see somebody walking or a car that's just creeping along that I've never seen, I slow down and I begin to stop and kind of just watch and see what they do. Why? Because my kids are there. 
My family is there. That is my house. I don't want that person. They may be a good guy. They, may, they just may be looking for their friend's house that they're going to visit. That's fine. I just want to know that. The same as you in your home. And Nehemiah had placed men to guard those areas. And Nehemiah had put these people in place as he placed Hanani as a more of a civil leader. He placed Hananiah as a, uh, maybe a general who was going to protect on the side of military side of things. And he had placed these people and then he had put gatekeepers and he had put these guards so that the city walls and the city would be protected. Today, I would say this, and maybe we don't need gatekeepers and we don't need uh, uh, guards at our church or at your home in the sense of physically. I would think, though, that we need to put some of these things in our lives, in our homes, because we are one generation away. You know what, I'm fortunate as I stand before you this morning, I'm fortunate that I can look at two parents, both of them who know Jesus Christ as their Savior. I can look at both of my sets of grandparents above them and I can say both of my grandparents on both sides knew Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And I can look at many families or family members and I can look down through that spiritual genealogy and I can say, wow, what a blessing it is to say this. I pray and I hope, not because I'm a pastor, but that my grandparents would be proud of their grandson. Not because I pastor a church, but because to the best of my ability, I'm raising my children in the gospel and the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Because it continues to go down, and it's just one generation, and it could be one of my children that completely strays from the gospel message and from church and all of those things. It could be your children, but I pray that my home is a place where my children are discipled under the Word of God, that they're taught those things. Why? So that when they move on, that they would be young men and young women, not just that they're good citizens inside of the United States of America. No, though I want them to be good citizens, I want them to be godly. I want them to fear God. I want them to serve God, whether that's as, the, as, a, as a musician or if that's like my dad does who parks cars or I don't really care. I just want them to serve God. And that starts in my home. I'm the gatekeeper. I'm the guard. My wife is that. I would ask you this morning, how is your home? Are you raising your children in such a manner that if nothing else, they may leave and never, never step foot back into church, but you could say, God, with everything in me, I did all that I could. I, I had them in church. I, I taught them these things. I showed them God's Word. I did those things, and I pray for them even more now because they're strayed, whatever it would be. Maybe this morning as I spoke on leadership, you would say, I am a leader. I would be dumbfounded to think in a group of 130 or so people that sit here this morning that I don't have leaders sitting in this auditorium that don't lead in some way, shape, or form within our church. Some of that is probably my bad and not finding those leaders and not putting them in a place, some of that may be just you have not ever said, hey, I'd be interested. I would ask you this, just as a, as a leader, as an individual who leads, maybe you lead at work, but you don't lead at church or whatever it is, as you come into these walls and you would say, man, I see this and it could be done this way and I can see this and I can see this, I would ask you this, would you pray that God would use you to lead something inside of this church that we could reach more people for the cause of Christ? 
hey, I can do better as a leader. I, I know that. There's a lot of areas that I need to do better as that, in that situation. However, I would ask you, would you walk alongside of me so that we could lead others? Maybe that's where you are. Maybe you're a gatekeeper, you're a guard. You don't, you're not, you're not, you don't desire to lead anything. Great. But maybe you would guard a section. Maybe you would serve in an area. Maybe you would do whatever you could do because this is your place and you are here to guard and protect it. The real work begins through godly leadership. The real work begins as we enlist people. We enlist people. What did we say at the very beginning in verse number 4? I said I'd come back to it. Now the city was large and great. But what does it say? But the people were few. The people had been, they left a long time ago. They weren't there. Why? Because it was a place that people, it was not a great place to be. They were exiled and they left and now Nehemiah had built the walls and he was saying, we've got we've to fill it again. We've got to bring the people back in. And I would say this, as we look at the next 60 verses, you're like, oh my. As we look at the next 60 verses, and we're not reading all 60 verses, How many of you have came to a passage of Scripture like this and you've done this? And you get to the bottom and you're like, all right, finish chapter number seven. I have. Let me challenge you. No, you probably can't pronounce most of those names. It's worth your time. And here's why God, one, it's in Scripture. But why is it in Scripture? Because God loves people. God loves people. There's a reason as we go through this passage and all of these people are coming back in that Nehemiah mentions them. It mentions their families. It mentions where they are from. It mentions a lot of different things. Today, you and I, it doesn't, that doesn't mean a whole lot. Genealogy in 2018, it really doesn't mean the same thing in America as it does in the Middle East. If you go to the Middle East or you go to many places around the world and you mention a name, it means a lot. Here it's not, for whatever reason, it just doesn't. I don't know why we just kind of, but it doesn't. When we look at this passage of Scripture, these names and these families and where they lived is important. Have you ever been to a small town and when you walked in or you drove in, you saw such and such's name everywhere? Because, and I'll just use my name, but the Flanagans were there, and then my grandparents were there, and my great-grandparents was there, and whoever else was before them, and the Flanagans just were a staunch member of society in that town. It's their town. You ever been to those places? It's important. It means something. In Scripture, we look at these things, it means something. And so often, I just skim through it. But God specifically chose all of these people from a specific place to this Jerusalem under this time for a reason. Some of them were here for this reason. Think about this. And some of you are in this church just the same way. They were there. Things didn't go well. They were exiled, whatever it was, and they left. 
some of those same people that got booted out are now coming back in. And they're going to see things a little bit different. This guy over here has never seen all of the destruction that they saw. And they're here, they're looking at it and go, well, the prophets have taught us this and we've seen this and we've seen this. And we're looking for this amazing thing that's out here. This guy over here is like, you all have no idea what we just left. And this guy over here is saying, but look at all of this and look at all this. There's a bridge between the two. There's people inside of this church. Now, some of them are on vacation. The, the Cabralises are out of town on vacation, and I believe the, um, the Huggins are out of town on vacation as well. Both families have been here for 40, 43, 45 plus years. There's a lot of history there. And you know what I've loved about Alan as far as leadership-wise? I've been able to say, hey, what about this or what about that? And he would say, well, we've tried this or we've done this. But also, Alan saw the good, bad, and otherwise for 40 years. Or Big Jim. You've seen history over the course of time. But you can also encourage me when I say, but I would love to do this and see these things. There's a bridge of time There's a bridge of generations that's encouraging to both. Why is it that my prayer is that we would be a church that is multi-generational? Because it is vital that those of you that are 60, 70, 80 years old that are serving God, that you take on some of us that are 20s and 30s and 40 years old. Why? Because you have a plethora, a wealth of knowledge that you need, that we need. Why? To bridge all of that so that we can have that for the next generation as well. They were there to bridge some of that gap, maybe. They were the link that connected the history to the prophetic future when Jesus would come and teach and walk and heal and love and then go outside of the walls and be put to death. Hebrews 11 is a a chapter that would be similar to that. What is it? A Hebrew, it's the, 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 the chapter of faith in the New Testament, right? The heroes of faith. What was it? It was a bridging of, look at all of the things. These are your ancestors. These are the people, and this is what they've done. And they were bridging that. We have the same thing. Genealogy was so important. The past family history, especially when we're looking at Jerusalem and Nehemiah's bringing them in. They would bring in those, most of them, knew their Jewish culture and knew their history. They could prove the bloodline that I am a Jew. Some of them couldn't. When we look at that, it meant so much. We see a list of people. And not only of people, but their villages and their jobs and so on. If we look in verse number 7, in verse number 7, who came with Zerubbabel, Jeshua, Nehemiah, which isn't Nehemiah, the the book that we're reading, Azariah, Ramiah, Nehemiah, Nehemani, sorry, Mordecai, Bilshan, Misbareth, Bigvi, Nahum, Baneth, the number I say of the men of the people of Israel was this. And you look at that, those were all people that were from before that were leading the 12 tribes. Then you come in, you see uh, the next several verses from 8 down to 25, and you see these are families, these are clans of people, the children of Parash, 2,000, the children of Shephatiah, then the children of Era, then the children of, uh, and it goes on and on and on and on and on for the next several verses. These are just families. This is the, the family of, of Flanagan's and the, the Sages and the, the Murrays and the, the, the Greens and the, all of these, and this is who they brought with them, and this is where they're coming from, the families and the clans that came together. 
together. Then it's the, the people. These were in verses 39 and 42. It talks about the priests. These were people that were going to be spiritual leaders. And these are people that were that. Then you go down and it speaks of the Levites. And you go down and then it speaks of, of the servants. And it talks about the singers. Those that were going to lead and worship and, and some of those things. It matters. People matter to God. And all of those people meant something to the city, to that town of Jerusalem. Every one of them. You know what I find interesting is, and I'm not the, uh, the greatest of scholar when it comes to all the Old Testament history. But you see all of these people and all of these, these things, they, they come together. You had the servants who, some of them were prisoners. Some of them who were ones that would relieve the tasks of the Levites of, of doing just the physical labor that, that was being done. Or some of them were, were foreigners who labored for kings. And there's all of these different things. It talks, it goes on, it talks about the animals. And, but it matters. People matter to God. The detail matters to God. I joke about it all the time. I don't care how many hairs are on my head, but it is a reason that God says in His Word that He knows the numbers of hairs that are on our heads. He knows all of that. It matters. People matter to God. And so when we look at this and we look at the real work beginning as we enlist the people, as they come in I would ask you this, and most of you I would know this answer, but I would ask this question. Could you prove your spiritual genealogy as you stand before God one day as to why you could come into heaven? I am a child of God. I can tell you there was a day in my life where I gave my life to Jesus Christ and there was a new name written in glory. There is a, my name is in the Lamb's book of life. Spiritually speaking, in that genealogy, I can say, I know that I'm a child of God, and He would let me into His heaven. If I were to ask you that question this morning, do you know that heaven is your eternal home? As we talk about the families, and as we talk about those that came back into this town and this area, that you have an eternal destination with God. Every person that's ever walked the face of the earth will eternally live in heaven or in hell. That's just what God's Word tells us. And let me ask you, do you know when you go to heaven and you stand before God, God's Word says that every knee would bow and every tongue would confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. We can choose to do that on our own today or we can choose to stand before Him and He would say, I never knew you, depart from me. And you will bow and say that He is Lord. And you will be eternally separated from God. Let me ask you, would you say, yes, Pastor, I know Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. I've been enlisted into His family. The real work begins as we Enlist the people. Lastly, this morning, the real work begins as we worship. As we come to the end of this chapter, and I told you I wasn't going to read all of it, and I didn't. 
verse 66, it says, The whole congregation together was forty and two thousand, three hundred and three score. I would guess that that might be the first mega church, because that's a large group of people. But it says, besides their manservants and their maidservants, of whom there were 7,330 and seven, they had 240 and five singing men and singing women. Their horses, 730 and six. Their mules, 240 and five. Their camels, 430 and five. 6,720 asses. And some of the chief of the fathers gave unto the work the Tershah, Tershatha gave to the treasure a thousand drams of gold, fifty basins, five hundred and thirty priests' garments. And some of the chief of the fathers gave to the treasure of the work twenty thousand drams of gold and two thousand and two hundred pounds of silver. And that which the rest people gave was twenty thousand. So it goes on and it speaks of all the different people, but it speaks of it that they were there and they came together with the singers and with the priests and with the Levites and with all of the different servants and all the different people. And they came and they worshiped together and they served God. It says and it, there's a reason it specifically says in there that they gave financially and other things. John Stuart Mill wrote this and it says this the worth of a state in the long run is the worth of the individuals composing it but the worth of the individual depends on his or her relationship to God and this involves worship think about that you have a correlation 2018 United States of America or the world as a whole The worth of the state in the long run is the worth of the individual composing it, but the worth of the individual depends on his or her, what? Relationship to God. Says a whole lot about a nation and a people. Because ultimately, it's not just about a gathering of people. We could be a gathering of people and call ourselves whatever we want to call us, but the worth of that ultimately comes down to our relationship to God which comes down to morality, which comes down to character, which comes down to a lot of different things. And as we look at this, it's our worship. For them, they chose to worship God through song. They chose to worship God through the priests of teaching and all of these things. They came together as a nation. And they served. It says that they gave 1,000 drams and 20,000 drams. 1,000 grams is 19 pounds of gold. 20,000 is 375 pounds of gold. That's a lot of gold. But here's here's what's great. All of that is worthless if it's improper leadership at the front end of it. All of that is worthless. If the leaders, if if Hanani and, and Hananiah and all the different priests and all of those, if they are not godly men, then all of that doesn't matter. If the gatekeepers aren't keeping the gates, it doesn't matter. If the people that are supporting and and guarding their homes aren't doing what they've been called to do because they're just like, you know what, I don't really care, it doesn't matter. It goes back to the leadership and listing people. It goes back to all of these things. And then as we close out, God's timing is perfect. What time did any of this take place? Anybody know? The months? What was about to happen? Glad I can tell you. They're about to go into the Feast of the Tabernacle. They're about to go in to where all of these things, the Feast of Trumpets, we're we're about the seventh month of the year. It's the Feast of Trumpets. It's a Day of Atonement. It's the Feast of the Tabernacle where all of this was about to take place. 
And all this, God had brought all of the children back. And he had brought all of the people back to a place where what would they do? They would come before God and they would confess. They would come before God and they would consecrate their hearts back to him. And they would serve him and they would do all of these things. God's timing is absolutely perfect. It's not by surprise that they were all brought back together at the same time that they would come to give their their sacrifice where the church would come and be the body that it's intended to be and they would consecrate themselves back to God. And here's what's exciting. As we look forward for the next several chapters in Nehemiah as we're going to see all of this beginning to take place, the consecration that is coming forth and the, the confessing and all of those things as we move forward. There's so much that we can take from this passage of chapter number seven. But as we wrap up this morning Let's think of a couple things as we close. God loves and is focused on people. God's desire was to take that next step, and he chose Nehemiah. God's desire was to continue to take the step with the people of Israel. They had been wayward. They had been exiled. They had done all those things. And when all the people were spread everywhere, he chose Nehemiah and he said, Hey, Nehemiah, you matter. And because you matter and all of these people matter, I'm going to use you to go do something beyond you. We can go all back through the, New, or the Old Testament. What is he? There was Moses and Joshua. and You've got the different prophets, Zechariah. Ezra, Nehemiah, you got all the different prophets. Each time they came in, they stepped in, and they did exactly what God had for them so that they would take that to the next step. And they would take it to the next step. And they would take it to the next step. You can go all the way into the New Testament where you've got John the Baptist who was the forerunner of Jesus Christ, and you've got all of these different things. And what did he always, always, always use? A bunch of angels that came around and said, boom, the wall was finished. No, he always, every time, found a person, a man, to lead the people because he always works through people. You matter to God. Regardless of what I think, I matter to God. I matter to Him. And when I don't think that I can do what God has called me to do, there's many times that I'm reminded God uses people to do what He desires to get done. Listen, there's a reason that you are in the home that you are in. There's a reason that you're in the job that you're in, in the office that you're in, on the construction site that you're in, wherever it is that you are, there's a specific reason for just that for you. Because you matter. He's got a plan for you. Just like he did with Nehemiah, just like he did with Hanani, just like he did with Hananiah, just like he did with the, the, the 42,000 plus names that were just mentioned. He always uses people to accomplish His desired goal. Today is no different. He desires to use you and I. He knows and cares for everything about you. God will keep His work moving forward. John Wesley said it this way. He said that God buries His workers but continues His work. We must not be discouraged. God has a plan. And that's not a 
like a derogatory type of a statement, but God has been working for thousands of years through this whole thing of life. And here we are, 2018, July 29th. There's a reason that you're here. There's a plan that God has for you. Will we surrender our lives and say, God, here I am. Take all of me. Take all of me. I just had a conversation as we close. Friday morning, afternoon, I, I try to meet with several different pastors over the course of every month or two months. I, I have different men that I talk with and that I try to be encouraged by. And I just sat down with one of my good friends and was just talking, being open, being vulnerable. And as we shared... I just kind of opened up and I was talking about things that I don't say that necessarily struggle with. A lot of those things I've told you that I, I desire to be a better leader and there's areas of that. There's insecurities of different things that I've shared and I'm not, there's no need to hide some of that. And I just kind of shared with him and I, I was talking through some of those things with him and to be able to be encouraged by another man and to stop and to leave after that conversation and to stop as I'm reading this passage of Scripture and think, God has a reason for me to be where God has me. Have you ever felt like you are worthless where you're at? Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever had insecurities where you're just like, I can't do this. I don't know how to take the next step forward because I can't do this. Well, none of you are raising your hands. I have. I have. Many times. And it's so encouraging when you read a passage of Scripture like this, or for me even to read this and also to sit across the room with another pastor who's a great friend of mine and to be encouraged that God uses people, not perfect people, but people who are willing to just surrender and say, God, I want to be used. He wants to use you today. And so this morning, as we close out, as we come to a time of invitation, the real work begins for Nehemiah That wall was finished, now let's work on the people. Church, it's not much different. We're a little over a year of having a completed building. There's still things that we desire to do, but the work isn't complete because we finished a building. Every one of you know people that I don't know that are outside of these walls, and they need Jesus. Some of them already know them. Some of them attend a great church. That's awesome. I'm not about stealing people from churches. Not about that. There's a lot of churches. But many of them need a church. And maybe we would be that church. Maybe they would come and we wouldn't be that church, but we could direct them to a church that would fit them. I don't know. But God works through you and me, through people. And the real work has just begun. Oasis, I'm going to ask you this question. Would you pray, continue to pray, that God would use you to build beyond yourself, outside of your walls, and He would do something to use you to reach people for the cause of Jesus Christ. Every head bowed, every eye closed this morning. Again, thank you for checking us out online. If you have never been to one of our services, it would be such an honor to have you as one of our guests. If you have made any decision today, our staff would love to celebrate with you. Would you please email us at info 
at oasislv.church.